Hello and welcome to 75 Card Pickup, a Magic the Gathering podcast for tuning and building constructed decks week to week. I'm Nick Prince and joining me is Magic Online grinder Baker Neenan, better known by his Mitko name, VTCLA. What's good, Baker? There's kind of a lot going on right now, I would say, at least in terms of standard. Probably a lot going on in other formats too, frankly. I mean, yeah, you would expect that, right? With a, a new set dropping, there's probably a whole bunch of decks that people are excited to try, a lot of different strategies. We just had this big mix-up in Standard, and there's probably a couple cards that are going to impact older formats, especially with the dual-face cards. So tell me, what, what, uh, how much of that is true? Well, there's a deck that people are excited to play in New Standard. I don't know if anyone else is very excited to play other things because they keep losing to it. Obviously, it's four-color Omnath. The older formats thing is kind of true too, though. Like we've seen like modern Charbelcher and stuff pop up some since they printed the the double face lands. I've seen some other things people trying, like some uses for the red step links, or like people trying to double down on shadow with the scourge of the skyclays, or like cleansing wildfires showing up a bunch. And then of course Omnath is kind of showing up in this format too, and is maybe taking over Pioneer. I don't know. I have to get invested in modern and pioneer now because the mocks has actually been announced and it's in what? two months oh, is that what you were talking about earlier okay so they've there so we're getting the 2019 magic online championship series in sometime in like the end of 2020 yeah they, some some allowances to be had for delays for covid but it, it's whatever the, apparently i also need to learn vintage masters draft for some unimaginable reason they chose that as the draft format what on earth is Vintage Masters? It's a six-year-old draft format that is like the original way they got a bunch of like reserve list cards onto Moto, where they were like, okay, there needs to be a bunch more copies of like Moxes and Dual Lands and stuff so that these are cheap to play with. So kind of think like it has a bunch of the cards you might imagine of Vintage Cube, but it's not really cube-like. Like the best common is, to my knowledge, like Battle Screech which is like two white white make two one one flyers then it is like flashback if you tap three creatures or something along those lines it's a much more fair mastersy format and then there's just like randomly some like power and duels and stuff in there so it's kind of weird to have that instead of like cube in particular but maybe even something like i don't know modern horizons or any format from the last half a decade as the format but so i'm gonna have to learn that in like the week-long interval between when they start holding vintage masters drafts online and when the tournament happens which is gonna be cool i guess but i I get plenty of time to prep pioneer and modern so i guess that's gonna be the focus for a while i know trying to keep up with standard at this point feels like very frustrating (laughs) what would be causing it to be frustrating we're four days into the format obviously one deck's taken over uh why is everything being thrown for a loop baker well they did just have this announcement where they said we're going to take a look at what should be legal in the format i don't i didn't read the exact thing let me let me grab the exact thing just so we're not like overselling it a little bit because the exact wording is we're closely monitoring developments in standard in order to avoid disrupting this weekend's tournaments which I, the only way to do that would be to announce a ban announcement, right? Yeah, so the translation for that is there are some cards that should not be legal. Like, one of them is probably Uro, which you're all familiar with. But also, Omnath has just been 
destroying everything because it is turns out so when i was like first writing up what to do in the format in my mind the options were like there's this omnath four color mid-range pile you can go for with your uro deck that's like kind of just obliterates aggro because omnath gains you four life every turn and then is reasonable everywhere else but if you want to go over the top of that you can try to like genesis ultimatum into some terror of the peaks and what i hadn't realized was to the extent to which if you Genesis Ultimatum with, like, Omnath and just Lotus Cobra and some mana producers, you can just, like, draw most of your deck, or I you've been talking to me about drawing just all of your deck and, like, make 30 mana and just one-shot your opponent. Where I saw bloody just Fae Wishes for Volcanic Geyser and 20 her opponent, like, 10 games in a row in the early access streamer event. and this was all happening on, like, turn five every game, but sometimes turn four, which is, like, a pretty aggressive goldfish when your deck is entirely mid-range cards. Because you just have, like, draw five, draw five, four, four, that's a two for one and gains you a bunch of life. Uro is a card draw, like, engine if you need it to be. This deck isn't actually that good at escaping Uro, weirdly. Weirdly, it doesn't... I mean, we can get into this later, but I don't even think it's that good in the deck. Uro is just there because it incidentally works with everything else, kind of. Yeah, it's like the backup plan. It's like you need some amount of things that do the things Uro does in terms of like ramping and putting extra lands and stuff in play. And Uro is easily the best of the options. And then also free rolls that like if your opponent puts mill cards in their deck, they just lose. You, you, you lose stuff like that, right? It's so like Rogues is theoretically a real deck that could maybe try to counter beat down you if if Uro doesn't exist, but, like, the Uro is really just not the centerpiece here. Uh, why don't we run through kind of a stock list, and then I'm happy to just kind of talk about where I think the format should go after that. The basic rundown for this deck is 30-ish lands to start with, and some number of these will typically be spike field hazards for the mirror because those kill your opponent's Lotus Cobra, it's kind of the freest way to kill Cobra that doesn't require you to actually play a card in your deck that's useless if they don't have a Cobra. So then you have four Lotus Cobra, four Uro, four Omnath, four Escape to the Wilds, four Genesis Ultimatum. You probably have a stack of Cultivates on the exact numbers up for debate. Maybe you have some like more mid-rangey effects like Bone Crusher Giant or Felidar Retreat in there. And then you have a little bit of, like, kill conditions, potentially. So maybe, like, a little bit of Kenrith to haste a bunch of stuff. Maybe Terror of the Peaks. Maybe in something like One Fae of Wishes is what I've been doing. You've been talking to me about One Thassa's Oracle. But, like, something to say when I Genesis Ultimatum and make eight more mana and keep going over and over, I will then kill my opponent this turn instead of having to pass back to them and let them go off back at me or something along those lines. And then there's some other flex slots in there. Sometimes people play a bunch of Dryads of the Elysian Grove. Sometimes people play a couple of cards like Radya. But for the most part, that's the core shell. And then we kind of go from there. Yeah, and what is 
interesting to note is that is like how the the scale is how far you want to go combo versus how far you want to go mid-range most decks that we're seeing right now and have seen for the last few days are basically just mid-range decks they're trying to play like this very mid-range game that can if any of their pieces go uninterrupted will go over the top of their opponent and this game plan is on its own enough to beat basically everyone else in the format Basically, like, if your Lotus Cobra on turn two lives, they lose. If your Omnath lives, you generate nine mana and they lose. And you are, uh, if they don't counter any of your draw fives, they lose. If they're doing all of these things, you're going to Uro them and start gaining cards back that way, and they'll lose. And it's just continually this question and answer format where as soon as they don't have the right response, if you kind of catch them where they, need a, they needed to have a neutralize instead of an essence scatter or whatever like because you cast a draw five card spell then they lose the game and if they do do all of if they do manage to hit every single one of your cards you have a lot of things that must be answered so even when they've done this for like turn after turn after turn you can just top deck your way out of it and put them in the same position again what's kind of like as it's developed as people have played this deck though like you were kind of alluding to you can put so many lands into play and do so many things at once that you can ultimatum and then come out of it with more mana than you started with. So, And once you're at that point, you're kind of a combo deck where you're just ultimatum, you put four cards into play, make nine mana or whatever, the last card was another ultimatum or another escape to the wild, you do it again, and you do this until you've created such an overwhelming board presence that you win the game, you terror of the peaks them so that they you never dealt with combat to begin with, or whatever else, whatever way to go even bigger than that that you want, right? You still have, even in these like kind of more combo-y versions, you still have a lot of those mid-range elements where your opponent checks everything you do and you just keep trying to draw five cards or whatever. And they have to continually have it. And this is, this like, I reached a point on Sunday where I was like, oh, I get it. I could see that this needed to be banned. And by yesterday, I was like, this deck, there is nothing that could possibly beat this deck. Something might beat it for like a day. And then you change some cards and you adjust and now you win. It feels like whenever someone attacks it for a moment, you kind of forget for a second how untuned this deck is, how we've had it for so little time. The full set came out Wednesday. Like, it's been less than a week. It's already so stupid. And, like, even aside from, like, tweaking the main deck or whatever, just the option of, like, people just aren't using their sideboards yet because they don't really know how to or what's important. And so then as soon as someone pokes their head out, like, hey, I think I can try to beat you, say, like, people were saying they were doing it with like blue black control or maybe with like gruel then you can just turn around and say i have four colors worth of sideboard cards and i can just pick whichever ones embarrass you the most and jam them in there because i beat everyone else so badly without even really trying to that i can just afford to do this and really that just leaves this as a format of mirrors i think or at least anyone sane should probably be playing the mirror. Which, anyway, I, f I figure this would be just, like, a good time to talk about the process of, like, beating a broken mirror. Because I think there's just been, like, a lot of interesting information. Because I've just spent, like, the last, I don't know, three days staring at mirrors and trying to figure out the best ways to attack them. And I think even more than just the nitty-gritty of this particular mirror, we can get, like, an interesting discussion on 
how to attack mirrors in general so that we can at least take something away from this episode when Monday hits and probably some of the cards are no longer allowed in the format, you know? The kind of an interesting dynamic we were talking about, right, is that cards like Felidar Retreat or to an extent something like Kenrith or Terror of the Peaks when they aren't just being put into play with a million other things at the same time is that they kind of just don't matter, right? Like, if at, at the end of the day, if your opponent can just kill you on their big turn, then having a card like Felidar Retreat that can take over the game over time just is very ignorable. Provided that your opponent gets actually get that big turn off, which in game ones is largely true. People don't really have counter spells. I don't think. Have you have you been seeing lists with like main deck missile disputes at this point? No, mostly just because I don't think that you can. I don't think that you are yet at the point where you could mystical dispute main deck. That point could like in theory could show up very quickly, but it we haven't hit that level yet. But yes, yeah, so like game one, it kind of ends up being. I think you want to ultimate him into a kill as easily as possible and then the counterplay to that is killing cobra and to a lesser extent killing omnath where people have started to look at cards like thundering rebuke as their main deck removal spell which is one in a red deal four sorcery just because that kills omnath and cobra and maybe even terror of the peaks if that happens to, to show up basically you're just trying to like slow down your opponent going to their big combo turn or kill your opponent for your big combo turn and anything in the middle just kind of doesn't matter. Like, I know you you said you weren't bothering even with something like a Terror of the Peaks at all, and you were just skipping straight to Thassa's Oracle, because, frankly, Terror of the Peaks sometimes just doesn't kill them because they, they've already gained 15 life. Once, once you get to post-board, you just have to start thinking in terms of what is the optimal 60, and so then we start getting into these interesting layers. The first thing is... Your opponent cannot be allowed to Genesis Ultimatum. And the only real counterplay available to you in terms of that is basically just counter magic. So we're looking at Mystical Dispute and Negate here. Other counter spells in the format just really aren't compelling. Maybe you have like a spare Essence Scatter or something to try and hit Omnath with, but I think putting yourself in the boat where you have to counter Omnath is a rough spot. Once you have the stuff like Dispute and Negate and if both players have a bunch of copies of those, and so ultimatuming is just much less reliable, it gets interesting because then cards like Felidar Retreat become much more credible threats, where now, if you can back your retreat up with a counterspell for their ultimatum, they can't just invalidate it by one-shotting you on their combo turn, then you get to take over the game with your incremental advantage snowball-y card by just hitting a bunch of extra land drops off like arrows and cultivates and whatnot. And then the other axis kind of going down is like, how do you kill Lotus Cobra? Some people have just been playing like four spike field hazards. So they don't have to play anything that isn't like maybe a couple thundering rebukes to kill Lotus Cobra because those can just at least be lands. It does come with the cost of making your mana base kind of screwy, but maybe that's something you're willing to accept. But then kind of in the middle, it's just if we just see like this chain devolving of like, okay, once we've established that Felidar Retreat is now the important thing in the mirror, right? Once we've once we've countered Genesis Ultimatum, now we need to to deal with Felidar Retreat. You kind of end up going further down of like, okay, so do I want like Wilts? 
or Elspeth conquers death, if that's a thing I'm willing to try to cast, or some other type of effect that can beat the Felidar retreats, and you go from there in terms of like how to to level your opponent further, where you could play something that dodges Missile Dispute and Negate really well entirely, like Kenrith or Shark Typhoon, but those are kind of even a lower power level thing. They can eventually win the game on their own, but they get outclassed by a resolved retreat or anything else along those lines. And so playing the recursive game of how reactive should I be and how anti-interaction do my threats need to be is this interesting thing where you try to pick your spot where like what's the strongest threat that my opponent can't interact with and allows me to play the game where I'm interacting with all of their things. Yeah, definitely. It's a fascinating mirror, to be sure, because just like in the rest of the format, either player getting their snowball going first usually means that the game's over, um, and it's just simply like the kind of hierarchy of what beats what that can kind of disrupt that, where Felidar Retreat probably loses to Terror of the Peaks, probably loses to something like Fae of Wishes or Thassa's Oracle, but then once you're kind of going down, like as you go more and more combo-y, then you open up this weakness to just kind of basic mid-range stuff, which is, if that sounds exactly like how I explained the problem with attacking this deck, uh, it's because it is. <laughs> uh, you end up in this situation where, like, it's it's tricky. Right now, I'm on a little bit more of a minimalist plan, like, I think that because I'm running a Thassa's Oracle version, I get to kind of disrespect my opponent a bit more because it's on them to... They can go off with Felidar Retreat and not actually kill me, for example. They could do the same thing with Terror of the Peaks if they can't actually hit 40 life or whatever, whereas I can. I have the potential to win in one turn. Um, so for me, like I'm running like 3 Mystical Dispute, 2 Negate, and then I'm probably going to bring in a Wilt because a lot of people are still playing... Uh, confounding conundrum which is itself confounding but and i just want to have like just incidental random way to get rid of the speed bump so i don't have to pay attention to it do you care about confounding conundrum that's kind of the thing i wonder i care about two confounding conundrums like that's the one thing i notice is that conundrum is like very mildly annoying if you're just like playing slow and trying to accumulate resources because then it doesn't let you like deploy them as easily and so while it's really only a speed bump at best. And don't play this card, kids. Confounding Conundrum sucks. Or at least it is not worth a slot in your attack. You know, better things you could be doing, most likely. I think that if you're going to go hard on it, you can... If you think that this is the best thing to be doing, I suspect it's not. But if you think you do, play four of them, because the first one is usually pretty easy to just ignore, or play around, or just actually take advantage of, because suddenly, like... Well, I'm missing my land drops anyway, so we might as well just bounce these things and make, use them as lotus petals or whatever, right? The second one is where you start getting into trouble, where you actually are just setting yourself... They're no longer lotus petals, right? They're actually setting you backwards your next turn. So you better win that turn, otherwise Conundrum is going to ruin your game for you. Yeah, numbers between zero and four not right. sense. Three, confusing number of confounding conundrums to me. You want yeah, two yeah. of those. <laughs>
I, I think like there's maybe a world in which you try to like Urian your con- confounding conundrums. To be clear, not Urian. In- in- sure, sure. Urian deck could probably just play this because it's like it's not that much worse than a Seagate or, or not a Seagate Oracle's uh, Omen of the Sea. De- it's definitively worse, but it accidentally hates some people, so it's like, eh. If I'm playing a Yorion deck, I could like play four of these. That's fine, whatever. That's that's all kind of an option, but like mostly. Playing Omen, uh, playing Confounding Conundrum represents like a very hard commitment to beating this deck, where you're just spending slots that you could be using to like destroy other people to very very marginally improve your mirror matchup, if it even improves it. Really, it kind of depends on how you're making room for the for this. But um, overall, when I look at Confounding Conundrum, the time I care about it least is when I'm comboing off in one big turn. Because then, not only do I not care about it at all, it's often actively upside. Like, I, it becomes easier to combo off in one big turn when there's a Confounding Conundrum on the other side of the battlefield. Right, you can't run out of lands. <laughs> I mean, I agree. I'm, it, it's more of a, like, theoretical, like, well, it can slow me down enough, and they might have other random cards, like Ashiok's Erasure is another one. And worst case scenario, I just cycle the stupid card and move on with my life or whatever, right? Like, that's why I like having just, like, one wilt. Just somewhere. Yeah, I think if you want to have a bunch of Confounding Conundrums, you have to just have, like, eight counterspells. Like, the plan for Confounding Conundrum has to be that not only are you leveraging it some other way, maybe you're playing some card like Thirst for Meaning or Urine or whatever, but also that this is the thing that stops them from getting to the point where they just like Genesis Ultimated with Dispute back up for your counter spell or something along those lines. This is how you stall them out a little bit. Has to be the plan there in order for it to make any sense. But I don't know if even then it actually does make any sense. So we'll see. Well, and for the mirror specifically, I think this plan is just kind of actively bad because, like you're talking about, you have to board. You need to board in some number of counter spells, and then apparently you have to board in all those confounding conundrums. At this point, like where what is your deck doing? You've boarded out all the cards that make this deck great, and you're just kind of trying to play like a bad control deck, I guess. Not in love with it. But instead, like you were, were looking at, is kind of ways to break parity so confounding conundrum is like in theory like if it did if it actually did what you wanted it to it would be that sort of a card where it's this one-sided effect that can stop them there is not a whole lot of that that can truly like break how the game is played in sort of a traditional sense uh there are a lot of counter spells and mystical dispute is just easily again the most important counter spell in magic right now which shouldn't be that surprising, but because both players are essentially combo decks, you don't really even care necessarily about countering their stuff too much, as much as it is trying to build to this point where you can protect your own thing with your Mystical Dispute. And that's also your plan against control decks. Probably just means you should be running four Mystical Dispute in your sideboards. Yeah, four gets into tricky territory always with Dispute in terms of what you do sometimes reach a stage in the game where it's not great, and also, like, it doesn't necessarily hit a card like Felidar Retreat as easily, but, I mean, if you're just, you, you might just be running eight counterspells, to be frank. But yeah, that's that's where you get to, you have to start wondering, like, how reactive you want your deck to be. That's actually another layer that gets, makes it more complicated with this deck in particular, which is that Escape to the Wilds kind of punishes you for having too many reactive elements, in that 
when you escape into a bunch of counter spells, those are just cards you don't get to use, which is a pretty big deal. Kind of similarly, when you Genesis Ultimatum post board, if like however many copies you have left in there, maybe you shave some because it is worse when everyone has a bunch of counter spells and you don't want to be like all in on that plan. But like once you like ultimatum and draw like some counter spells instead of like things that keep you going on mana it it gets it, it makes your deck function less well and so it's difficult to both plan to otk your opponent still and also try and board in disruption for your opponent so just also part of why cards like retreat get better because you you kind of get in your own way to some extent as well to avoid letting them combo off on you so then one thing that gets interesting is like which cards you are actually supposed to cut post board. Like what what if obviously anything like Bone Crusher Giant or the like you can kind of get away from. What what have you actually been cutting for for game twos? My current game two plan on um, if I assume that this would change if we had open deck list, but I haven't played in an open deck list tournament where I can see how my opponent's gonna sideboard. Uh my current plan for not knowing what my opponent is on is actually to cut uh, three Uro, three... I'm playing Tangled Florahedron as my other two drop uh, because it becomes a land later. So I get to just cheat and actually play 36 lands. Um, cut those six cards, bring in two Negate, one Wilt, three Mystical Dispute. So essentially boarding out cards that are kind of awkward. Tangled Florahedron is is good exactly on turn two, but they're probably going to be ready for it anyway because it still has one toughness, and then it's otherwise just a land late. So I think that I can just get rid of that, and I actively don't like a row in the mirror, so I don't really want to play it. I think it, it actually just turns on Spike Field Hazard even more, which I want to give that card as little utility as possible since it feels like everyone's just playing four at this point. I would rather just focus on having my plan A go off and stopping their plan from working. But, but so you're, you're just trying to avoid the plan Bs entirely, right? You just don't have one. Yeah, I mean, my essentially, yeah. My plan is to win through Thassa's Oracle always. Because there is, at, at the end of the day, assuming we're both doing our things and we're both drawing all of our decks, they cannot always win in one turn. They usually need two, and if, I, and if they get to that point, then I can probably just win in that one. But that's like the weighted assumption, right? It is a weighted assumption, and sometimes you... Yeah, sometimes you will not win in that one moment, but it has been much less often than when we do just win. So I think the onus is on the opponent to stop me. Now, open decklist would hurt this a lot because the opponent would know that they need to have a plan for how to stop, you know, one-hit KO, as opposed to... I have time. There's nothing that's going to. What is? What could possibly get get through fifty life and eighteen cats that all have ninety four power or whatever? But at least in terms of just like blind matches, it's definitely helpful. It's interesting to hear that you would cut the arrows. Not necessarily because I think that it's amazing in the deck, but mostly because if you're if you're planning to go off every game, right, and that's how you win, and so therefore. The thing that would concern me is running out of cards, essentially. what like You, you can kind of start to flood once your opponent starts attacking your, your top-end cards. So I would, I would have expected you to be cutting cards like Dryad of the Elysian Grove first, since those 
don't really like help you get a hold of more copies of like Genesis Ultimatum or Escape to Wales. Because your plan is kind of just like, well, they'll counter the first draw five, and then I'll play a second one, and then maybe they'll counter that one, and then hopefully the third one resolves. So I figured you'd be planning more on playing cards that like help you find more copies of those. Or is that are are we just like trying to speed check them and say like like if you have a bunch of cards like Kenrith or Terror or whatever in your deck, you, you just put yourself in awkward spots in terms of having to deploy those at some point. Yeah, and so you're just trying to like catch them with their pants down. Because if they just pass with dispute up, you can play in an escape to the wild. Well you're trying to your your plan your plan A is to assemble combo plus counterspell backup or I can generate so much mana that I no longer care about Mystic Dispute, or plan B is you have to eventually tap out and probably cannot kill me in one turn. If you, if I untap, I win the game, so I just need to be able to stop you from killing me, and then I will just do exactly what you're talking about where I go off. It's kind of risky though, right? Because at some point they can probably just like have an Omnath, because you're not really doing a ton to stop them from having an Omnath. So, like, if they just, like, play an Omnath on, like, turn three or four, and you can't punish that because they you haven't gotten to six something, then you can kind of get yourself into spots where they get to, like, here's a land, here's an Uro, here's a second land, here's, like, a Felidar retreat. I still have, like, five mana up to negate and pay for dispute, where without having any mid-range options of your own to fight back and force them to, like, keep deploying more things or like check them on that front now they can just like sit there forever right to some extent and just like i i have enough pressure to kill you and you can't deploy anything that actually contests it so i can just have all my counter spells up forever and i don't need to to tap out for anything maybe just like having a bunch of dryads helps you avoid that issue because if you just get to go like dryad land on turn three and be threatening and escape to the wilds then it makes their it makes their omnath really awkward they're allowed to play a turn four omnath but can they like the deck is both slightly faster than them and is able to hold up counter magic at in an opportune times so like you play i play dryad land any land literally any untapped land they have to worry about mystic dispute right now so can they even play their omnath so they probably have to wait a turn to be able to play Omnath plus Counterspell or whatever, they can't count. They can't plan on doing Escape to the Wilds at that point because as long as I'm holding up that mana and they were scared of it last turn, they have to be scared of it again. So they're either just checking me for Mystic Disputes or waiting. Dryad does so much work in this deck. And actually, I realized that I sent you a list that was... I figured out what was wrong with this list. Finally, there's one Azusa in the deck as well. So we can just get ahead on lands and use the fact that I have... Like, this list has 36 dual face or lands including the dual face ones, so that you just never run out. Yeah, so that's interesting. I've seen other people playing like Radya and stuff in terms of as like their combination with Dryad. Are you are you not interested in that? Uh no, I just don't think it does enough. Like Radha doesn't give you extra land drops is the thing. I want extra land drops more than I want the ability to like move a land off the top of my library or whatever. Right. It's like what once you have cards like a Zeus in your deck and land drops be- land drops become less of an issue because like Azusa isn't actually plus any resources, so like you're kind of spinning a card from your hand to generate extra land drops. But if you 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 will then quickly run out of lands, and then the Azusa is now useless. 
Yeah, and the Azusa and the Azusa has come out in um, in a lot of mat or I shouldn't say a lot of matchups because that implies that there's a lot of things other than the mirror. Um, but if you were looking at like kind of raw number of archetypes, uh, even if it's not percentage weighted by percentage or whatever, like uh, against a lot of people, the Azusa comes out. The Azusa just lets you get so far ahead if you ever resolve a draw five because you can just deploy all these lands and you know you're you have fourteen mana when they've they have, are playing their fourth land or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So I, I like the idea of just like overloading on lands to compensate. It, it is is something tricky because like you've also just completely abandoned the idea of like cultivate along similar lines, where a lot of these lists are like leaning heavily on like four cultivate as the idea being that it's a ramp spell that is reasonable on its own, but then can also like stash you an extra resource with the idea being to play longer and you again have just kind of abandoned that entirely and say what if i just played like eight extra lands essentially in and instead put those resources into dryad because dryad will ramp me twice when cultivate only ramps me once if they don't kill it dryad also fixes mana which is so important especially when you're looking at genesis ultimatum where uh and like color requirements at all dryad is just a godsend yeah so we, we we've seen an interesting option here then like you're talking about where we almost get like the loop back around portion of things where i'm talking about like getting progressively more mid-rangey and i was even starting to like piece together different ideas where it's difficult to replace the card draw of genesis ultimatum necessarily but if you can do that just like looking at just going very purely reactive and having just like a ton of counter spells and then a bunch of like Elspeth conquers death to trump their mid-range plans and then just being like I have the dominant mid-range strategy and I can cut off your top end whereas what you're talking about is kind of the opposite where you're going further the other direction and saying look I am just going to instead of worrying about fighting back with uh, my own mid-range plan in case you try to stop my top end i'm just gonna blitz out my top end before you can properly set up to interact with it and i think that that's that's like the the, the polar opposite of like the two ways you can take this and it, it's interesting to see like if this just works anna handy explained this i was gonna say taught me but she didn't like teach me specifically she said this at one point and it just always really stuck with me which is when sideboarding what you should be looking at, and this is just kind of a big lesson, is which deck is doing the more powerful thing, the other deck has to respect that more. That they can afford to sideboard more for what their opponent is going to do, and just force them to have the answers. So I think that this version of the deck is saying, I go bigger, faster, and win instantly. So that means that other decks have to play and sideboard in ways that they have to respect us more than we have to respect them and one not all sideboards are set up to do that very well and two we can just put them in these positions where them doing things is actively bad and that is just the perfect place to be in my mind but it is very opposite of where where the thing that where you were talking about where as you kind of go into this like i can counter your top it top end with some of my cards so now these like lower tier things like Felardar retreat that are a bit more mid-range can suddenly be the thing that wins the game because they're really hard to interact with if the game goes a few turns with them in play and that is why i've been thinking about this 
uh, this archetype specifically as like plotting them all along mid-range to combo, which is not the normal way that like a deck as an, as an archetype functions, but you can push it more mid-range and you can push it more combo-y, and there's a lot in between there in terms of how much of each you can do. The way I always like to think of this concept is you can beat threats with threats, but you can't beat answers with answers as, a, as kind of a general rule. Where basically each threat, think of it as like a check in chess, is like I can put your king in check and then you have to demand that you do something to answer it. But then some threats are just like very delayed. And one way, instead of reacting to that threat and trying to have to like jump through hoops, a bunch of hoops to do so, the other alternative is I could just kill you first. And so we always have to look at like first priority of like, what is the most important, like, what is the fastest unanswerable threat here? And basically, before you do anything else, if your opponent's fastest unanswerable threat is faster than your fastest unanswerable threat, you have to stop them. And so in your case, you've ex definitely established, like, first dibs on your deck going off faster on average than your opponent's by a, a decent margin. So... You, you've said, like, okay, you have to stop me first before you can do anything. What gets interesting here is actually just, in think in part, a nature of the counterspells that exist in the format, particularly Mystical Dispute. A lot of the times, Mystical Dispute, to protect your thing, can kind of wear off in its effectiveness, because by the time you have six mana to play Escape to the Wilds plus Dispute, they can have enough mana to say, pay, play a negate and pay for the dispute, right? But what gets tricky in this format is two things. One, Omnath mana is very available on your own turn and not very available on your opponents, which makes it easier to like have a bunch of spare mana lying around to, in order to play with in terms of forcing through threats. And the other that you noted is that there's not a lot of things to do at instant speed, which means when your opponent deploys some clunky mid-range card, like a Felar Retreat, and they kind of have to deploy it at some point in order to get you under the pressure, then what happens is they are now too tapped out to actually be able to threaten dispute and pay or negate and pay or something along those lines which means that it's really difficult to actually play the more mid-range game plan where you just like sit behind a threat if you just speed the deck up instead of slowing it down and so by speeding the deck up you've now kind of denied your opponent's access to their well, it's safe to tap out this turn. Because typically, people will feel like, oh, it's safe to tap out into, like, your opponent's, like, turn three to four if there's not a Cobra in play. But by incorporating, like, Azusa and Dryad, you make that a lot less true because you're threatening to just go off immediately. If they just let you resolve, like, Omnath, Fabled, Omnath Land Land Escape, you might just kill them that turn. And so they kind of have to respect that. Maybe not with escape. Maybe it has to be you. They have to get to an ultimatum setup. 
but escape can still be scary. Just deploying one escape usually means that even if you aren't able to combo, you still have access to all those resources in a way that's very beneficial, and you can hold land drops and kind of play around it. Yeah, that's the other big thing, right? Is that since you're threatening to escape very quickly, it or escape plus dispute pretty quickly, just by like getting to that breakpoint, like breaking serve, you now have your escape resolve much more reliably than your opponent's escapes can resolve. And because of that, you have those five cards just available to you, whereas they did not. And also you get to make use of the cards even harder because you don't actually run out of land drops unlike they do. Like I've, I've hit three lands off escape before and been sad that I only got to use two of them. The That's why I'm in love with the Dryads. The Azusa, if Azusa, we would play two Azusa, three Dryad, I think, if Azusa wasn't legendary, but obviously it is. And then when you're, you know, flipping your entire deck into play, legendary becomes incredibly relevant because the second Azusa is just routinely dead because you can't like you can't actually deploy two if you don't fully combo off and if you are doing it over two turns then the second one doesn't matter because you just already have won the game i guess the other thing that i want to talk about actually is another way to use your sideboard with this archetype i've talked about pushing the main deck to way combo the sideboard i have currently is a little bit theory crafted because one of the only thing that's kind of rising up like maybe it's certainly become popular because Nassif streamed it, is like blue-black control, which is just trying to literally one-for-one every single thing you do because it's the only way to invalidate a bunch of, you know, Omnath, Cantrip, uh, Draw Fives, all of that, is make sure that you you answer every single one. This combo-y version can be a little bit more weak to that because there are more dead cards. Like Tangled Florahedron is not winning you the game against blue-black control. Dryad of the Elysian Grove is really bad when you're not able to actually can go off consistently. And what makes me convinced that this deck has to be played is that if everyone were to switch to this combo deck versus a blue-black control deck that can kind of contain it, you can use your sideboard to go back to playing more mid-range, and then they don't have an answer again. So the sideboard that I have plays a bunch of counter magic already for the mirror, and then can board in Kenriths and Craig Plate Behemoths and Elder Gargaroth so that they're just continually put into this position of every single card I play must be answered to a degree that the deck does not otherwise need to do in most matchups against this one specific. It can just go back to what people were playing almost on day one of the format. You should have Felidar Retreats. I think that's the best thing in that matchup. I really liked Kenrith. But, I mean, maybe it, maybe it should just be Felidar Retreat. I just really enjoy Kenrith overall. This is kind of interesting. Like, at, at the start, I really liked Kenrith. And then as the format has gone on, my appreciation for Kenrith has dwindled. Granted, he's kind of annoying to kill because this Heartless Act doesn't get him. But, like, he, he does kind of just, like, trade for a Blood Chief's Thirst and maybe pay for it to draw a card. He's more answerable than something like a Felidar Retreat is. Craigbait Bayloth kind of get soul shattered would be my one concern with trying to just cheese them with that what on earth is a soul shatter i don't i have not seen this card so i'm not afraid of it as of right now i don't know what it does so it's two and a black instant each opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker with the highest converted mana cost among creatures and planeswalkers they control blue black lists are like playing some number of copies of this i think they like typically play two to three i think kunio posted a list with four 
it kind of depends on like who you ask how many will exactly but like especially if there's an open deck list type situation i'm there's a decent chance they might have like three of these in their deck post board and like or or also just like something as simple as like a shark typhoon just might be able to like trade off somehow or an extinction event can just exile it which makes me a little bit concerned about like a card that is so expensive and just like reliant on them just not having an answer you you get you get to the mana no problem that's the easy part i it's more of a like i assume that we're getting into this position where we're both trading resources because we're both one for oneing they don't really blue black doesn't have good card draw where you do so if you ever snowball you just win anyway if you ever resolve a dry five the game's over but let's assume that we didn't get in that position if we're both just light both light on things to do this thing ends the game so fast that it's like you have one draw step left you know four turns to kill them by itself i don't know if it's that it's going to be like strictly by itself it might it probably kills them in three hits I'm I'm low key assuming that we always cast this for ten. <laughs> okay, okay, it's just I, always like, always ten. It's it, because it's so trivial to get that much mana, you know, like because they can just let the dryads resolve and whatever, and so you just get up to a ton of mana real quick, or like they can even let the lotus cobra live if you draw it late, and then you just like sandbag fabled passages and go boom 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 ten attack or whatever. If you want a card that they just like literally don't have an answer for, it's Craig Plate Bayloth. Generally, I'm more inclined to just play relatively cheap cards that they just struggle very hard to answer reliably, like the Felidar Retreats of the World. And I think like having a couple copies of Felidar Retreat could still be nice in the mirror, even if it's not like our primary plan and we're mostly planning to combo off on them. And you wouldn't necessarily even want it against every version of every list you play against, but just like depending on which cards your opponent has access to post board like if they have particularly set themselves up to be able to go after your ultimatums and just like having a little bit of something to to punish them could be nice all of this feels like it's probably just theoretical anyway i don't know that i'm ever going to play an open deck list tournament with this deck yeah i i'm certainly not going to <laughs> To be fair, I do think it doesn't necessarily have to be open deck lists for, like, the type of decisions we're talking about to come into play. You can kind of just, like, infer to some extent based on what you see from your opponent, which is something that I like about closed deck lists. Yeah, so do I. I preferred closed deck lists to open deck lists a lot. Like, I thought open deck lists was boring, especially with the online tournaments where you get exact numbers. It's like, I'd much rather play closed deck lists, especially because, and I'm not just saying that because it would help me so much more because I get to... I get to obscure what how I'm going to sideboard more. I think this method has a lot of merit, especially because just like trying to lean on people's ability to fight back against the first draw five, where you just get to the first draw five before they can do anything about it or before they can get set up. And so I, I like that idea a lot. I, I tried the the no ultimatums list just to like see where it would go wrong, and it felt like there just wasn't enough card draw to actually in order to like actually win the mirrors like to actually have your mid-range threats be better because like you could kill one of their mid-range threats with ecd but then you were still just kind of at parity unless you got to reanimate an omnath which helped a little but like you, even then like you you needed more card draw so i was like trying to maybe eye like forex conundrum like some urions to go with the ecds but i i still think that suffers from the issue of like how your deck is beating people but even against normal decks this is still true where it can be difficult to actually 
deploy that first threat in order to go under everyone. So something to keep in mind, just like, what if we just ignored everything and just killed them as quickly as possible? I'm kind of in. I mean, that's frequently, once, once you start looking at combo decks, frequently the best way to do it is the fastest way, right? <laughs> But as it stands, I don't think that standard is really set up to deal with this. Like when like we're this early and we're all noticing mistakes all over the place, like as various people were playing it, right? And the game still felt easy despite these just big misplays because we were just not used to the sequencing yet. And I don't know how the format stands up to this in a couple weeks, let alone, you know, a couple <laughs> like this week itself. Yeah, that's something I've noticed. Like the deck is fairly difficult to like sequence optimally but it is very hard to screw up enough to matter a lot of the times right you're gonna win the game either way you just didn't opt you didn't optimally win you didn't go as fast as possible you didn't play as flawlessly as you could or whatever it, so someone asked me when i was explaining this deck to them like a, a, a week ago or whatever why it was good and they were like well don't you just flood when you play like this many lands and mana sources and it's like look dude <laughs> Draw fives, draw five. You have eight of them. You When you draw five, you don't not draw another five. You only have five? Or you have only eight of them? Foolish. Or are you counting, like, Balagad recovery? Yeah, just pick, because at some point you have 19 mana floating or whatever, just pick one up and draw, now, now you can draw 45 cards just off because you have a Balagad recovery. We're playing, we're up to three. I have been operating more along the mindset of, like, I don't need Balagad recovery types stuff to just kill my opponent most of the time i ultimatum so why bother playing a bunch of cards like dryad because that only makes my deck more inconsistent because sometimes my dryads suck i hadn't entertained the idea of going very hard into the dryads and it just always working because if it just always works then that's fine too i, I think that about covers it i we've, we've got some interesting options for how to attack the mirror I'm definitely going to try these out and probably play something like you're talking about, hopefully. And then that'll be the wrap for the standard format, I guess. Yeah, standard. <laughs> Starts uh, officially releases on Sat on Friday, and it's pretty much dead on Tuesday before it comes out. Cool. It is dead on arrival, for sure. <laughs> if you want to follow us on social media, I'm at Nick and Prince. Uh, the podcast is at 7-5-card-pickup, and Baker is at VTCLA. One, because that is the number of times he needed to look at Omnath, Locus of Creation, before knowing that it was busted. Not even play, just look at. I I thought it was good. I didn't realize it was busted until I, like, saw it cast once. <laughs> One is the number for the number of weeks that Omnath, Locus of Creation, managed to make it while being legal and standard. Yeah, I mean, that's also fair. There's, there's a lot we could say about this specific one. <laughs> See ya, Baker. See ya. <laughs>